Walking our way through the Gospel of Luke, we're in chapter 4, the first 13 verses of that chapter, a series entitled Go. Can you read behind me? Uh, Go. And we've been exploring up until this point uh, just aspects in the story that are preliminaries. Last week was the baptism of Jesus, and, and today his ministry actually starts. But his ministry starts in a very unique and different way with a temptation by the enemy. And the notion of this is for Jesus to discover what kind of Messiah and Savior and God with hands and feet on he's actually going to be. Powerful text. This is a power encounter text. And I don't know about you, but something's been going on over here and for, for a while this morning. And I wanted to introduce our artist this morning, Karin, and, and have Karin come up. He's... He uh, is here representing our partnership with Solidarity, and he's, he's going to be an artist in residence here for at least this morning, right? We may have a permanent job for you, though, buddy. Uh, it's just, just FYI on that. Why don't you tell us a little... Hi. <laughs> Go for it. We love you, man. It's called Solidarity. I'll clean it later. But um, tell us a little bit about, you know, what's Solidarity, the offer that Solidarity has given for you in your own life and why you're actually here today. I, I usually don't like using the mic. It makes me feel really weird. I have to hold something close to my face. Um, but like the what, what was so cool about Solidarity is that growing up um, in, in the neighborhood that I live in, either you kind of get like these two options. That being that you don't go to school, and then all you do is just work, and, and then you can just make a, a living out for yourself. The second option is also to either be uh, a gangster or, uh, you know, kind of like the quote-unquote, like the statistic that, oh, because you're a Latino boy or a Latino man, you're just going to be a gangster, you're going to be a thug or other, yeah, so, uh, so those were two options. With solidarity, one of the coolest things that, uh, it was that they actually helped me see that there's more than that, um, there's more than those two options for me, that can be going to school, that can be actually pursuing a dream that I have and a passion that I have. And that for me is art, and now also psychology. That's why now I want to be an art director. And my friend, Beth, is not here. I always give her heat about this, and I don't give her no credit for it, but she was actually the one that gave me the idea to become an art director. She's in two things that I, I really value a lot and I love um, for the benefit of others. Cool. Thanks. It's all good, man. I love it. Yeah. You're good, too. So, listen, thanks for sharing your story, and, and you may be doing a little more work over here, and we're going to talk about it uh, a little bit later uh, before we leave today, right? Yeah. Sounds good. We're going to pray for you because we're in solidarity with you. <laughs> okay, does that sound good? And uh, help me give him a round of applause and encouragement, please. Feel that? Feeling that? All right. All right, how many of you have felt like you've been blindsided before? Anybody felt like they've been blindsided before? Anybody been blindsided before? Uh, maybe in sports you got a blindside, you just got nailed from behind, didn't see it coming. Any hockey players? Soccer players? There's a, I remember, yeah, hockey player, goalie right there. Uh, it's called a blindside. You just don't see it coming, bam, down on the ice, down on the ground. Wind knocked out of you, seeing birds and fun, cute things that fly in the tree, and you're asking yourself, am I alive? 
That's a blind side. And blind sides come in a variety of different forms. Sometimes it's a hard hit on the playing field. Other times it's a relational. Didn't see that one coming. I bet every single one of us has a moment in their life when they say, whoa, got the wind knocked out of me metaphorically. I, I didn't see that coming. Anybody? In relationships. Could be in business. Could be in family. Could be uh, in any aspect of your life. Just this moment of total and complete blindside. Now there's two different kinds of blindside. One is the power of God at work in our life. And Pentecost Sunday is certainly a blindside for good. Holy Spirit of God blows into a room. People start talking in strange tongues. Go ahead and practice that right now. You don't have courage, do you? Negative kind of blind side is the other kind, and it's, it's more deceptive, it's deceiving, it's adversarial, it comes in the form of evil and slander and passive-aggressive behavior and the way we talk about other people, and oftentimes it's in the form of evil. And so in our text today, there's this interesting story, I want to draw our attention to it as we read our way through it, and I'd like to do a little bit more of a dramatic reading of the text and perhaps even explain a few things as we make our way through because I ultimately this morning want to want to give us a framework for avoiding the enemy's blind side in our life, okay? So let's take a look at Luke chapter 4, the first 11, I think, verses. So here it is. Check this out. Remember, Jesus was just baptized, right? So he's coming down the mountain from a spiritual high. He's in good shape here. If you are here last week, the heavens opened up, a dove comes down, and there's an audible only three times. His father speaks to him, and this is the first of those three. And Jesus is told by his father, you are my beloved son in whom I am well. Please, thank you very much. I'm glad you were listening. So he's flying high right here, and he's still in this moment of being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where our text picks up. It just continues. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, leaves the Jordan and was, check this out, led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. An early form of cleanse, by the way. And at the end of them, <laughs> I just like this, he was hungry. Duh, right? Now here comes the first of three temptations. There may have been more, but we're given three. I mean, he was there for 40 days. The devil says to him, if, check that out, if the first three chapters of Luke has all been about proving that Jesus is the Son of God, the adversary here comes, the enemy, the devil, says, if you are the Son of God, Tell this stone right here to become bread. Notice how simple Jesus responds. Doesn't try to argue with him. By the way, arguing somebody into a new place often doesn't work. Trust me. I know from firsthand experience. But what he does do is he quotes scripture, not just to this one, but in all three instances. Jesus answers, and he goes back and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, which is that same basic context where we heard the Shema in the call to worship this morning. 
It is written, men and women and children shall not live on bread alone. Now the devil led him up to a high place, second temptation, and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. Somehow opened it up and at least showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. Check this lie out. It has been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. So he tempts him with power. The first temptation, he tempts Jesus with sustenance. You will have enough. In the second temptation, he tempts Jesus with power. Jesus answers again. He doesn't get all excited, doesn't get all emotional, doesn't start to cry, doesn't start to argue. He just quotes more scripture. Like, this is the way it is. This is where I'm going to align myself. That's just how I roll. Worship the Lord your God and serve the power of God only. Very nonchalant. Very, that's just the way it is. Choose for yourself this day. The second temptation. The devil now led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If, third time, right? If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. See, what's interesting about the adversary and the slanderer here is he knows the word of God. Out of these three temptations that he quotes, he misquotes one of them on purpose. Because frankly, he doesn't really care about truth. He just cares about what he wants to get. And again, third time, Jesus answered, it is said, in a non-combative and non-argumentative way. This is what I love about his methodology. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. The temptation to spiritual power is strong. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, you got to check out this last phrase. He left him, here it is, until an opportune time. Which means it's not a one and done. This is going to be an ongoing power encounter all the way through. Don't you love that phrase? Until an opportune time. What, my friends, is your opportune time? To be tempted by the slanderer, the adversary, the enemy. In the text, the devil. Powerful text.
for us to think about on Pentecost Sunday. Now, Len did a great job. This text is reminiscent of the Old Testament in a variety of ways. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Similar? They failed. Do you remember Israel in the wilderness? They didn't do so hot either. Moses and Elijah, not so good. None of them really made the grade. But in our text this morning, Jesus does not fail. That's gospel. That's good. That should inspire each and every single one of us. Because Jesus is the Son of God. Not if. He is. So we can all avoid being blindsided. And there's times in my life when I've been blindsided. I've been blindsided when I've ridden my bike. Don't worry, I'm okay. I've been blindsided when I played on an ice rink a few times. I'm okay. I was blindsided multiple times as a youth worker on a hayride where one rack, they're singing songs, and another rack, it's all saw wrestling, and a guy ran at me for 40 straight yards, full speed, and he just nailed me from behind. I can remember laying in the snow, eating snow with birds in my, ringing in my ears, thinking, did I break my back? From then on, I wore my hockey helmet. To the church youth group hayride. <laughs> I couldn't find my hockey helmet, I got rid of it, but I found my bike helmet. I think every single one of us gets blindsided by God, but more often than not by the enemy, by the slanderer, right? By the accuser. And I think we can avoid being blindsided if we live into a, just three little realities found in this text. Let me give you the three because I think they're powerful. The three ways to avoid blindsides in our text today go like this. Jesus is the bread. I'm going to unpack that in a minute. Jesus Christ lovingly provides himself as the bread of life. Secondly, God is ultimate and highest power. And thirdly, it is the Holy Spirit that is revealing God's way for us as community in the world today. So let's have a little bit of fun on this with this for a moment. I'd like to do a little caricature roll a couple, three times. Bear me if I go through this and you don't get it. But I'm going to play the role of the slanderer. And when I do that, I'm going to wear my helmet because I don't want to be blindsided by those kind of thoughts. Now, if I were the slanderer, I mean, if I were the devil, I mean, if I were, hoping I'm not, that was comedy. <laughs> if I were the slanderer, you know what I'd do? I'd, I'd try to deceive as many church people as I possibly could to think that unless they picture the devil, that'd be me, as a cartoon character that sat on their shoulder with a pitchfork and pointy ears and a really nasty smile, I get people to think that unless they view their interpsychic dialogues like that, that I don't exist. But you see, the truth is, I'm much more subversive than that. I'm smarter than that. I'd like to get people to think that although those smaller interpsychic dialogues that they have in their mind, all those whispers about their own personal desires and needs and wants. 
I get them to think that they're really talking to God when in actuality, they're actually talking to me. It's called rationalization. <laughs> because if I can do that, then I can infiltrate that string of natural ideas that's going on in their mind. And they'll think it's from God when it's actually from me. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'd do if I were the slanderer. You know what else I'd probably try to do? I'd try to convince folks, especially in the West, that they never have enough. There's not enough money. There's not enough portfolio paddings. There's not enough in the reserve cash. They don't have enough to eat, to drink, to consume. There's always the next best thing to buy. I'd get them to question whether they were actually content with all that they did have. I would get them to seek more and more and more because there's never, ever enough. I get them to strive for another market niche so that they could go to another place in the world and, and literally parachute in and take the natural resources for their own. That's what I'd do. I'd get them to secure another border and to, and to decide to make another purchase. Yeah, if I were the slanderer, I'd make sure that they never, ever felt like they had enough. <laughs> So please allow me to introduce myself. Thank you. Some of you listen to rock music. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long years. Stole many a person's soul and faith. Pleased to meet you this morning, PPC. Hope you guess my name. But I know that the thing that's puzzling you is the nature of my game. You see, turn this stone into bread is a temptation to money and status and to always be seeking more, more, more. Not enough, not enough, not enough. Oh, and the things that we do to folks without even thinking about it to satisfy that desire. And yet Jesus, with infinite wisdom, does not argue, simply quotes scripture and says, friends, people don't live on bread alone. And what he was really trying to communicate is a profound truth. Jesus Christ himself is the bread of life. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is enough. Can we push back all the chaos that's hovering over the face of this civilized deep in order to hear the Spirit of God whispering ever so strongly in our ear, my friends, Jesus is enough. Jesus is the bread of life. And because we're human beings and we forget about this so often, once a month we gather around a table and we take off a piece of bread and we ingest it and we say to ourselves, Jesus, you are enough. Help us to remember what we so often forget 
That's the first reality that we have to live in to if we want to avoid being blindsided by the slanderer. Jesus, 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 but oh so hard to remember. Then there's this, this second temptation, right? The second temptation, I'll give you all these things. You know, if I were the, if I were the adversary, <laughs> so glad I had my helmet. If I were the adversary, you know what I'd do? I'd work tires, tirelessly to get people to grab for power. Power grabs. Who's got the power and who doesn't? When you have the power, it feels good. Because you know what? You can look down on other people. And you know what else is even better than looking down on other people? Knowing that other people look up at you and desire with a deep sense and profound need to at least have the playing field level. So the grab for power, power over nations, power over different people would help us slice and dice people by names and ethnicities and categories, ever making sure that certain people had, had some power and certain folks didn't. This would work to my advantage, I guarantee you, because everything would become a power grab, power of one sex over another, power over people, one person over another, or nation over another. One color of skin over another color of skin. Power of strength over the lack of power found in weakness. The rule of law over the rule of God. It would be fabulous. People would look down on each other's and up to others. It would be chaos. <laughs> Pleased to meet you. Hope you guessed my name. You see, there's always the temptation to wield our power. Personal power, position power. When sometimes when we don't feel empowered enough, we do our very best to take those down who are in power. Oh, it's chaos. We want certain powers of certain ethnic groups to have more power than other. There's gender power. There's emotional power. There's physical power. Oh, yes, and political power. And again, Jesus responds very simply. Quoting the text. You know, when we're tempted to wield our power, Jesus is showing us in this text to go right to the text of Scripture. Right in to the text of Scripture. And I want to read what he says, Jesus again. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, when our face is gay, when our gaze is directed towards the face of God, we begin to see the world from God's eyes and perspectives. 
if we're really in tune with the words and workings of God through history, we see that God is more concerned with all people being treated with equity and justice than a world of power grab. And the more we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the more those power structures begin to melt away. But isn't it difficult for us as human beings to consciously recognize the way in which those power struggle, struggle, structures are always and still in play? <laughs> and isn't it fascinating how easily we rationalize the way we even read scripture to keep people under our thumb. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guessed my name. I know what's puzzling you is the nature of my game. I challenge us in this particular moment to be people of the word. There was an article that came out in Christianity Today recently, and it's, it's a fascinating article by a more conservative publishing house. The Christianity Today wrote this, fascinating. The more folks actually deeply, profoundly read their Bibles, are you ready for this? Not sure that you are. The more progressive the church will be with regards to the social issues of the day. Christianity today. My friends, read the book. Jesus shows us how to do it. And to implement those realities in a just and equitable and fair way. Well, the third temptation is if the first two weren't provocative enough. The third temptation takes him again to a high pinnacle in Jerusalem. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. His angels will come and take care of you. And Jesus replies again, quoting scripture, Deuteronomy 8. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He basically takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. And he tempts him with religious power. The first was with sustenance. The second one was, is with political power. The third temptation here is about religious power. Now, I don't, I don't know about you. It would be fun to chat about this a little bit. Don't give too much due to this caricature, however, because we worship a God who is greater than he. I think Scripture says greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But it's still a provocative conversation to talk about Man, if I were the enemy, you know, if I were the enemy, I'd have a field day in religion, one group better than another, schisms and break-offs all the time, disunity. 
I get them to think that one way of worship is better than another. One way of being church is better than another. I would absolutely create chaos fantastically. I get people to think that their perspective is better than others, that their worldview is the best of all, and we should all follow it. It would be a way to wield religious power. And the best of all, I get the most pious of the bunch to think that it really is their conversation with God that is happening, when in reality, I'm whispering in their ear. This would all throw them off to what the real needs of the world are. They'd forget what they were supposed to remember. That all people are meant to flourish under the life banner of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'd even help them develop criteria that would determine who is in and out, who is lost and who isn't. It'd be wonderful. I'd get Euro Anglos to read the Holy Scriptures from a purely white person's perspective. And they wouldn't even realize that there isn't one author of the Scripture that isn't carrying brown, tan, or any other skin but white. In other words, the Bible's written by people of color who are always oppressed. And we tend in our white person perspective to think that King David was awesome when the reality of the matter is he was a king of a dinky little nation that continually got sacked by all the superpowers around him. But when we read it through our white lens, man, it becomes an imperial book really fast. But the reality is it's a text from below that stands in solidarity with people of color and we all seek to work together for the flourishing of all humankind and I get people to forget about that. <laughs> It'd be fabulous. Hey, can you guess my name? Yeah, the temptation here is to abuse religious power to wield it. And yet, and yet, now here's gospel, because that was kind of dark, I realize that. But it's true. The gospel today on Pentecost Sunday is that the Spirit of God breaks into the midst of all of this chaos with a whole new power structure in play called the kingdom of God. In the midst of all of this chaos, all the way through human history, the, the Pentecost Sunday, the Spirit of God enters in and blows them all away, and we're all blindsided for good. But the enemy wants to blindside us for ill. I was pretty, bless you. I was pretty uh, convicted by this text. So perhaps three action points for us today, and you can choose the one that fits best for you. How's that? When you're tempted to believe that you don't have enough money, I want you to practice a discipline called HALT. H-A-L-T. 
I want you to just stop. Hey, you don't have enough? Just stop. And ask yourself, am I hungry, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? <laughs> if you're hungry, go get something to eat. You'll feel better. You're not going to be hangry anymore. If you're angry, go get something to eat because you won't be hangry, hungry, or angry anymore. Are you lonely? Call your best friend and have a conversation. Are you tired? Take a nap. Do those four things before you begin to have an inner psychic dialogue with yourself that makes yourself feel bad for you by saying, I don't have enough to live. And while some actually don't have enough to live, my guess is most of us actually do. And this is important because it's, it drives us away from that narcissistic, interpsychic dialogue that says, I don't have enough, and we begin to see Jesus Christ as the bread of life, who is always enough. Will you do that? Practice halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And attend to each, or in many cases, all four of hungry, angry, lonely, tired. That's one spiritual practice, where you don't feel like you've got enough. Second spiritual practice, when we're confused with geopolitics and who's got the power in the world and who doesn't, this text tells us that God has ultimate power, whether we see it at work in the moment or not. If you don't see God having ultimate power at work in geopolitics in the moment, I want you to do something. I want you to take out your Bible or your smartphone that's got your Bible in it, and I, and I want you to start reading the Shema O Israel, Deuteronomy 6, that was our call to worship. And begin at verse 4 and just start reading. It will reorientate your mind to the things of God. If you're tempted, thirdly, to wield your religious power, and that can come in a whole host of ways, right? I don't have time to articulate all of them, although it would be dark and fun at the same time. <laughs> would you commit to not saying anything and simply praying? When you want to lord your opinion over someone else, will you just stop and pray? And allow the Holy Spirit of God to blow into your life to level the playing field, because that's what Pentecost was all about anyway. Elevating the oppressed and humbling the proud. The playing field was leveled. There's a new kingdom in town called the kingdom of God. I don't know your blind spot. Do you know yours? Which of these three is your blind spot? Be careful. You got to know it. You know why? Because there will be an opportune time when he returns 
and yet the power of God through a risen, ascended, and returning Christ tells us the gospel good news story in this exact moment. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Yeah. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Perhaps the greatest invention of all is fire and the, the ability to harness the power of fire. But we read in this story, it's not just harnessing the power of fire. It's harnessing the power of God's fire to love all people to life in a way that is relationally enriching, relevant to our neighborhoods and our communities, and bold. With the fingerprint of God at work in a 10-mile radius of this place, that's Pentecost Sunday. That's being blindsided by the God of the Holy Spirit. Forgive us when we're blindsided by ill. Empower us, because we're always blindsided and infused with the power of the Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. And if that can happen, that same power can raise each of us from our bigotries, our power grabs, our bad attitudes, to really and truly be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ on earth in this neighborhood so that all lives are transformed and changed for your glory. And your glory alone may it be so and all said. Amen. And I'm pretty sure we got a cool song right now. Song. Please stand with us as we close. The earth is yours. You wear my helmet?